Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. The thing that I always say to people on the, on the summit morning before we head out the door is, you know, just one foot in front of the other and just being able to go into your own zone and just keep going and going and going. That was Aaron Byrne, a very good friend of mine and one of our most experienced guides at Earth's Edge. Um, I wanted to get Aaron on the podcast because he's got some really good big mountain experience from the likes of Denali, Kangtengri and Peak Lennon in Kyrgyzstan. So I think it'd be really useful for any of you guys that have done Kilimanjaro or Elbrus and want to take the step up. We start out chatting about his childhood growing up to Wicklow and how he got into the outdoors. And then we get on to sharing some epic stories from big trips. I really hope you guys enjoy this one. Cheers. I was involved in uh, scouting in the earlier days, uh, you know, as a, as a young teenager for a couple of years. So I got a little bit of an introduction to mountains and mountaineering there. My sports back in those days was uh, football, hurling, soccer, that kind of stuff. It wasn't really until after a trip to Australia for a year, visited the Blue Mountains out there. Class. When I came back, went to Tiglin and uh, did a mountain skills course. From then, I really got involved in it, you know, so I finished the mountain skills program. Then I went on to do the uh, summer mountain leader program. During those years, I was still working in manufacturing and engineering, uh, which I still do today on and off. So it wasn't a full-time job for me then, it was more of a hobby. I was getting more and more tired of uh, going to a factory every day. It seemed like a good idea in 2005 to pack in all the manufacturing and uh, go full on for mountaineering. So um, I set up a, a company called Mountain Ventures. I rented an old Onoiga hostel in the Wicklow Mountains. I started doing mountain skills courses there and guided walks and, and stuff like that. So that all kicked off in uh, 2006. Cool. And I had that running for about 10 years. Come here, what was the like first big mountain that you climbed? Well, myself and my brother, uh, we climbed a lot together then. And um, we managed to get some rock climbing gear off somebody else. And we started teaching ourselves how to use that, which was amusing at times and deadly dangerous at other times. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But, uh, through uh, Tig Lane and doing the mountain skills and mountain leader programs, um, I bumped into a guy called Will Rock. Before our first trip to the French Alps in 2001, we decided that the, obviously the first mountain we should climb is Mount Blanc, you know, because it's the highest in the Alps. Mount Blanc. <laughs> Will took us into Darky Quarry and uh, showed us how to do crevasse rescues there. And uh, we <laughs> headed off to uh, to France in 2001. And uh, we had a good trip. We, we, we successfully climbed Mount Blanc. We came back down off the mountain and the whole world had gone mad because uh, the Twin Towers had been attacked and... We didn't really know what was going on. It was all in French and it took us a few days to figure out what was happening in the world. But That's funny, man, because normally you go in a big long trip and you're like, you're coming back off like being offline for two weeks and you're like, oh, the world is all going to have changed. And uh, But it's exactly the same. No, everyone's doing the same stuff. But in your case, in this one, it's like the world has changed oh, completely. Yeah, like, you know? It took us a couple of days to get home because flights were cancelled and everything else. But uh, 
our flight was redirected to Germany or somewhere. And then we caught a news there with, with English and we figured out, my God. So come here, I was going to ask you, right? Like we've, we've had a good few of our expedition leaders on the podcast chatting about different trips we run. And I know you've done a ton of trips for us, including being on Kilimanjaro over eight times. But what I want to chat to you, I know like we'll get on and talk about our trip to Denali. I know you've been on a few 7,000 meter peaks, but that's really what I want to talk to you about today. Like kind of people who have done, let's say, Kili and are thinking of going on to do Elbrus and Aconcagua and like kind of harder mountains in your experience there. Like what was your your first big kind of siege proper expedition that you went on? How was it? The first one I went on was in um, 2008 and the highest one we'd been on was um, Mont Blanc. We selected off a, a magazine picture a mountain called Kantengri in Kyrgyzstan. I showed it to uh, Ronan Lenehan and a couple of other people, Brendan, uh, uh, Brendan Byrne and uh, Allegra Lawler. And we decided, yeah, that's it's a beautiful, absolutely beautiful mountain. Real classic pyramid shape. Just under 7,000 meters, like five meters short of 7,000 meters. And we said, yeah, let's give that a go. So mm. we started preparing for it. But uh, I think psychologically, it's hard doing mountains like that. The plan would have been to be there for a month. But actually, I really struggled on it because uh, I didn't understand the situation about sitting around in tents for days and days and days on end. I got a little bit antsy. There was actually quite a lot of objective dangers there'd been some accidents there was people in trouble yeah it kind of freaked me out a little bit and a lot of people like to sit around talking about these tragedies and these uh dramas that are unfolding uh, all around you but it didn't help me at all um so actually i wanted to get out of there as quick as possible so that was my first mm-hmm. foray into a seven thousand meter peak and it really took me by surprise but at the same time when I came home and uh, thought about it, I realized, God, there's, there's a lot of things to get your head around before you start doing something like that. But it was a huge learning curve and uh, really useful for for the next 7,000 meter that I attempted. So the, the Cantangri trip was, was unsuccessful in that we didn't climb uh, to the summit, but uh, we got pretty close. It was very successful in that it was huge, huge amount of learning for me. And all of that then like, we took to uh, Peak Lennon in, 2011 i think uh, peak lenin yeah that it's actually really interesting what you're saying there because i was on um Aconcagua with a group in 2015 and we got into base camp you walk three days into plaza argentina and we got there like you know yourself like from these big mountains like there's teams from all over the world there was nine irish clients myself and a doctor and they'd never been on a big mountain before and i hadn't been on Aconcagua before i was gonna lead it for the first mm-hmm. time so like when you get to base camp, there's just people from all over the world and all they want to talk about is negativity higher yes, up the mountain. Yes. So I had to sit my guys down and just say, listen, guys, let's just trust the process here and just cut all that noise out. Like our local guys, Packy is absolutely savage. Like he's been on the mountain like 70 times and he's 30 successful trips. So let's, let's you know, just put your trust in me and him and we'll get you there, you know, because it can really... You can get really freaked out by what other people are telling you. Yeah, and it's easy to look at other teams and think, oh God, those guys are really professional. Though. They're, they're much fitter. They're much stronger. They're better than you in every way. But actually, the reality is very different. And actually, yeah. the reality and the, the the truth about all of those stories that you hear in places like that is you're not getting the full picture. You're getting bits and pieces of it. So no. it's, it's very easy to get carried away with listening to that, but it's not useful. 
Yeah, I'll never forget being on Musagata in China with Anne and Ronan as well. And like when we got to base camp, like there was teams from Austria and Switzerland yeah. and like the States, Russia. And, you know, everyone's kind of got the chest out yeah. at the start, like, you know, and Anne, like who we both cl- like climb with a lot. And, like she's an absolute machine, like she's tougher than either yeah. of us, you know, and she's really strong. But she's an absolute fecker for looking out or looking around at the start and getting intimidated <laughs> yeah. by other people. I'm like, listen, like we'll see what happens, you know, surely as, as the days roll past, you just see people leaving for whatever reason. Like it's just a it's a mental battle, isn't it? Like these big mountains, especially the Russians. You they hold yourself like, up to, in comparison to a Russian, you're, you're not going to come out very well. It's just a simple fact of life. But you are, can learn from them as well. Sure. You know, they, they can, and they're friendly and they're, they're people that you should talk to because they know what's going on. You know, there's a, there's a lot, you have to figure out who's, who's uh, useful to listen to and who isn't, you know? Yeah. It's great fun, really, like once you're not freaking out yourself, like it's just I love I love the psychology of it all. You know, it's just funny. So just to recap here, guys, we're talking about big expeditions to Aaron and uh, some of them we've been on together. We don't actually run these as commercial trips, but actually, man, we're running a trip to Peak Lennon this summer, our first commercial trip there. So it's a mountain. You, it'd be great to hear your experience of that. I was there myself in 2016, I think. But uh, yeah, how did you go out there, man? Pretty good, actually, Um, although we didn't summit. And I think that's something that, everybody needs to realize when they're going on a big trip is you have to be prepared not to summit as well, you know, totally that you don't, you know? Um, so we didn't do anything wrong. We just got a bit of bad luck on weather. It was extremely cold. Everything. Yeah. Everything went uh, fairly well to plan, except for we just got beaten back on the last day. And, uh, mm-hmm. We were there late in season as well. So um, we didn't get another opportunity to go back again. So we, okay. uh, we got storm bound and then we had to, uh, we had to come off the mountain then. It was basically, the mountain was closing for the season. So uh, the weather was never going to improve again. So we, we got out there. But um, yeah, it was a good trip. A couple of American guys on it. One guy was skiing, actually. He skied off uh, from our highest point and injured himself on the way down. So we got involved in the uh, in, a, in an evacuation of sorts. The poor guy had to be put on a, a kind of a makeshift stretcher. The Irish broke trail and uh, the Russians dragged this poor guy through the through the snow all the way back down and stuck him up on a horse. And uh, I, I, you'll probably remember that trail coming out of there. There's really steep ravines that the trail Absolutely, winds yeah. along. And this poor guy, he, he was more terrified coming down on the horse than he was when he, when he fell off when he was skiing. I know, man. And so you, you to stretch him down between Camp 2 and Camp 1, yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah god that's a heavily crevassed section yes. man that's pretty yeah. full-on like and we were leading it and it wasn't wanted or anything so we actually ended up making a new trail <laughs> by accident we got everybody down anyway and Anne was actually there she was doing a lot of the first aid on the american guy i'm gonna have to get her on the podcast as well you know yeah. she's another one of our expedition leaders so come here you were working for like leading expeditions for for me at earth's edge for a few years and then in 2017, we, we, myself, yourself, Anne, and then another friend of ours, Chris, we all went to Denali together. Mm-hmm. What are your memories from that trip, man? We had such a laugh, didn't we? Like, it was great. Like Snoring. I was, yeah. <laughs> I, was in a, I was in the tent with Chris, and uh, yeah, he was uh, pretty amazing at snoring. And he was able to, uh, I caught him on, on maybe the second or third last night. He was laying his head towards the pillow. His eyes were still open, and he started snoring at that point. So... It was a pretty full on, I don't know, how many days were we up there? Ah, uh, I think we were 16 or 18, were we? We were away for 30 days in total, I think. I can't remember exactly. 
Yeah, well, I think we had amazing luck that time with the weather. Uh, we didn't miss oh. a beat, did we? Nah. It was fantastic. Apart from the summit day, man, we had some bad weather on the summit day. Yeah, on the, on the way back down, yeah, we had a bit of a For sure, yeah. Bleed on the way you played it. But I mean, what an incredible place. Like, I mean, Alaska is just absolutely stunning, isn't it? Like, so just for any of you guys that have done something like Elbrus or Aconcagua, like Denali's one of the seven summits, kind of the next step up if you've done Kili as well. If you're going for your fourth one, it's a really good one. But the way the permits work over there, we'd love to run expeditions there, but we can't. There's only five American companies that are allowed to run commercial trips. We were really lucky with the weather, you know, and like it's a real like all these big mountains like Denali, it's only just over 6000 meters. But because it's so close to the pole, it feels and the North Pole, it feels tougher. I don't know the tech like there's a technical reason for that, isn't it? It's, it's it feels like it's higher altitude, but yeah, it's beyond my pay grade. Like, but you're carrying a 25 kg pack, right? You're dragging a sled another 30 kg in that mm. you're all roped together. Like <laughs> the whole thing is heavily crevassed, yeah. like, you know. So we had really good fun, like a few touchy moments, like when oh. people aren't fed in water properly, like, but um, the funny bit for us, is two funny stories I want to uh, remind you of. You fly into Alaska, right? And then you drive up to a place called Talkeetna and then you take a little eight seater plane and they drop you on a, a glacier called the Kaltikna Glacier, yeah? Kaltikna, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Kaltikna. And basically they take off again and they leave you there. And then when you're coming back out, you you call them on the sat phone or you radio them and they come pick you up when you're finished. Yeah. But you're basically abandoned there, right, in the side of a mountain. That was fine. We had a really successful trip. A lot, a lot of bad weather in the summit day. It was got a bit hairy there. But the last day of our expedition, walking back out, when you're like on the home run, is supposed to be the handiest day. Like, you know, it's the walkout. Everybody's walked off Killy or whatever. It's supposed to be easy. But the whole thing is a massive, massive glacier. And when we were coming out, so the four of us are walking together. We're all connected by, by rope and we're all dragging a sled each. Mm. It was really, really heavily crevassed. Yeah. And a lot of the snow had melted since we walked up. So we were just surrounded by crevasses. Like, and I remember one time, man, I swear to God, like it seemed like we were trying to pick a line through it and see ones from previous teams. And like, I was like, which way are we going to go here? Because literally in every direction, I could see a crevasse. <laughs> so there was these two lads, right? They're from Utah. And like, listen, I'm, I'm not a spirit, like a religious person myself, but these guys were Mormons, you know? And Things got so desperate for us, like we were like, oh, sure, at least those lads have God on their side. We can follow them, you know. <laughs> and do you remember those guys actually made uh, put water on for us when they saw us coming down off the summit the day before? They put water yeah. on for us. Do you remember that? They were lovely fellas, yeah, weren't yeah. they? They were nice. <laughs> we actually uh, met them back in back in town afterwards, like because you remember they they uh, took a little break and they, and they let us pass them out because they wanted us to go first. It's, they wanted one of us to fall in the crevasse. We were, we were following them, right? Yeah. We were following them. And then when we caught up to them while they were having a break, they kind of turned around and said, uh, would you guys mind going ahead? Because we don't really know where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> and you're kind of, your ego is going like, oh yeah, no problem. We can lead from here. But in your mind, you're going, oh God, no, you guys go first. Because, you know, yeah. like you don't want to have to sort something out, especially coming off that expedition. But And the other one, and I, I love this story as well. So, Talkeetna is a little town that you start and finish the expedition from. And it's like, it's like the Wild West, isn't it, man? Yeah. It's like a one street town with a couple of bars and all that. So obviously we got back off the mountain, like probably all like I speak for myself, like probably a stone and a half lighter from just not having enough food up there. 
we needed to put on calories again, you know, to nurse ourselves back to health. So the best the best way of doing that is going for a few pints oh, straight. Yeah. Yeah. Thing is, like, we were in Alaska in the middle of the, in, in June, like we had the longest day of the year. And because it's so far north, it was bright all day and all night. Yeah. It was like all, all the time day. So we got in there, like, and like, you know, the three or four of us from Ireland and like stereotypes about drinking too much, but we were just so excited and so happy we all summited and we wanted to celebrate our success. So you go into the pub, right? And you start drinking a few pints. And then when like you'd look at your watch, what you thought was like seven, eight o'clock in the evening. Turns out like it's three o'clock in the morning. Like, do you know? And you're like, oh my God, right? So the funny thing is we we kind of, I was organizing accommodation for us and I kind of got at last minute this this girl called Jenny actually that was in the bar. She organized to stay in the little bunkhouse, right? But we ended up going on the beer for a few days. And because we stayed up so late, right, we were up till three or four in the light, having the crack in the pub. They were serving all night, like yeah, we come back into the bunkhouse late and we'd be in bed then till, till recovering and putting on weight is the <laughs> PC way of doing it. We were in bed till one o'clock, like, and I'd arrive in to go into the house and say hello to Jenny. And she's like, you're after missing checkout. And I'd be like, oh, no, we'll stay another night, you know. <laughs> and this happened about three days in a row. like, And eventually she goes to me, you Irish, you're not going to climb the mountain. You ain't going to do shit. <laughs> because she actually thought that like we'd arrived in Talkeetna. <laughs> I we're going to go on the mountain any day, but just kept drinking. Like, you know, it was so funny. Like, I, I love that trip, man. It was something special about Alaska, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. It's like, and that, that beautiful. Takeetna. I don't know what it'd be like to do a winter there or, or, or a long period of time there. Maybe it might get a little bit. You meet so many great people and, and a lot of crazy people. Mm. A lot of people up there, just uh, not so many uh, locals, so to speak. There's a lot of people have moved up there from the lower the lower states and uh, they're all just having a great time. It's it's like frontier town. It's still yeah, that's great to it. But uh, meet you're meeting people and you kind of think you meet somebody. Say, oh, how are you doing? What kind of crazy are you? Because uh, yeah, they're all they've got some kind of crazy attitude going on. They're all a bit funky as well. I remember like, you know, obviously there's grizzly bears and all kinds of wildlife up there. But you remember one day we were having lunch like and someone comes up to us. It's like, there's a bear in town. Like, yeah, they're like, Okay, what 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 am I supposed to am I supposed to lock myself in my room and wait it out like or can I go around or what's going on? It was just on a, every second day or two be like, I had a grizzly bear after being spotted, like be careful, like <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're just like, okay, right, what am I supposed to do now? Like, you know? That was a, a cracking trip. Right. But Aaron, like, you know, we're looking back on all these fond memories of that trip and laughing about it and all that, but like did, there's so much hardship on a big mountain like that. Like, what is it about it that you love, man, about big expeditions? There is days now where you'd um or there are days where you'd uh you'd wonder why why you're there and what you're doing it for. But um I think uh reaching summits is 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 one of the things that kind of keeps you going, but also just having to crash as well. You know, I've had tough days on those big mountains for sure, yeah. And I mentioned earlier about how psychologically tough it was in uh, on the first seven thousand meter peak I went to. But also closer to home, I've had very, very tough times on mountains in Scotland in winter. Yeah. So after I did the summer mountain leader program, I, I went on to do the winter mountain leader program. It took me a quite a number of years because often the conditions in Scotland aren't brilliant. So it took me a number of years to get the logbook sorted out and then eventually do the assessment. But I remember on, on, on my assessment, the assessment goes on for five days. And part of that is a, is a three day expedition with a, two overnights okay. in the snow hole. So you got to go out into the mountain, dig your own snow hole and, uh, and stay there for a couple of nights. Uh, all the while you're being uh, assessed for your navigation skills and your 
group leadership skills and, and whatnot. On the first day of our uh, exped, a huge storm came in. It just started snowing from the from the moment we left. We got to our, our location for the snow hole and we had to dig that out. And some of the group weren't able to keep going and only a few of us still fit to keep digging this snow hole. If, any, if anybody's ever dug a snow hole, it takes about four or five hours to dig a proper one. And it's yeah. We got radio the next morning anyway to say to come, come back in because the weather was not going to improve. But uh, I remember walking walking out that day and we'd, we'd spent all day walking in uh, the day before and we had to make our way out, back out roughly the same way. But uh, at some, we were in it for about eight or nine hours. It was taking us about uh, 100 minutes to do uh, one kilometre. So they're they're quite tough. And, Scotland, like, you know, you're kind of thinking, oh, yeah, it's just it's some, for, for anyone that hasn't been over there, you know, you look at it from an Irish perspective, the mountains are just that little bit bigger. Like, but the difference is massive, man. Like, if you want to get tough in yourself up for big mountains, like, it's brilliant. Scotland is phenomenal for that because the conditions are just so harsh, aren't they? Like, they are, uh, yeah, and it's really wet, cold. You know, we experienced minus 35, minus 40 on Denali, but it didn't really seem to be that cold no like if you're in minus 15 16 in, in scotland you just oh. break your bones and you just can't get warm yes everybody should uh try and do if they're going planning on doing big mountains scotland is a brilliant place to cut your teeth just to figure out how to camp and what gear you need and yeah uh, and psychologically keep them going and uh, it's, it's good for you it really is. yeah it's great experience up there isn't it you know we're not going to get in and talk about the pandemic too much, but all going to plan, you and I um, were heading off to do uh, Ama de Blam in November. Definitely going to be a different style of mountain. Like I've been on a on a good few 7,000 meter peaks now. Um, and Ama de Blam is 6,800 meters, but it's much more of a climbing mountain and different challenge for us. Like what's really attracted you to that mountain? You know, Denali is that kind of, uh, they often say that you camp your way up Denali. It's all about camping and it's that kind of a skill. You know, yes, there's crevasses and there's ropes required, but you're never really climbing at a, at a, at a high degree. But yeah, Amadab Lam is, is, is very different in that regard. It's, it's technical um, and uh, mm. definitely uh, it'd be very interesting to operate at that kind of technical level in that altitude as well. So even uh, Cantengri and Peak Lennon, they, they, they're not technically challenging mountains either. They're just high. Yeah, I think Amadam Lam be, be good from that point of view. Yeah, I'm excited about it, man. It's the the itinerary sick. Like we we've kind of there's four of us going. We're kind of doing our own thing out there. But yeah, we're going to bag a uh, Leboche as well. It's going to be class. Like it's just going to be. I mean, it would be amazing to go, wouldn't it? You just kind of feel so close, but yet so far away with the pandemic. But yeah, yeah, I'm confident, man. Hopefully, we get the the green light. But that's it, dude. And what are you thinking? What other mountains are on your bucket list? Like any anything stand out to you? Like we'd like to try. Yeah, I definitely like to try more 7,000ers. Uh, I like that whole idea of being out there for four, three, four weeks. Definitely more 7,000 and more time in the Himalayas. I haven't, um, I've only been a couple of times and uh, I'd like to spend more time there for sure. Maybe at some point working up to an 8,000er. I'm not all that keen on on, on uh, going to the point where it's oxygen is kind of requirement. So uh, I just want to find out what that height level is for me for for to be able to function without yeah, supplemental oxygen. So uh, I'd probably stick around there because, um, I mean, there's so many peaks to do. Yeah. I was saying this to you before as well about the logistical challenge of climbing something that hasn't been climbed before. And there's so many of those as well. That'd be an excellent uh, idea, I think. Um, I just love the whole idea of just going where no man has gone before. <laughs> yeah. I, I really want to go climb something big in Pakistan as well. You know, I think that would be... Mm. 
that would be great you know i'd love to do that just just the challenge of the logistics of it it's just one of those places like you could do um something like choi U would be a nice probably the most logical uh 8000 meter peak to start first but i don't know i want to go to the karakoram and, and just the logistics of it and the, the chat just it's just going to be harder isn't it yeah. i'll probably go out there now and i'll be like You'll be giving me a rollicking going, why didn't we go to Choi you? Why didn't, why didn't you big ginger fecker, yeah, like, you know? <laughs> Aaron, hang on there one second. I just want to bring Ariana in to chat to us about B Corp. Hey, Ariana. Hi, James. So what have you got for us today? Well, I just want to briefly explain how the B Corp assessment works for those of you who might be considering getting your business certified. The assessment is broken down into five sections. Governance workers, community, environment, and customers. The questions for each section are determined by company size and what sector your business is in, with the end goal of improving your company's social and environmental impact. A company must achieve a minimum score of 80 to become certified. It's a really detailed assessment, isn't it? It really is. It looks at every aspect of your business and it can take months, if not longer, to complete. But believe me, it's well worth the time and effort. After completing it, you're given info on how you can improve your business so it has a more positive impact on our communities and the environment, as well as your staff and customers. I'll be back next week to talk about our goals for the future and how we plan to keep improving our impact on the planet and its people. Sounds great, dude. Chat to you next week. Thanks a mil, James. Chat soon. Aaron, a lot of our listeners will have done the likes of uh, Kilimanjaro, Basecamp or Machu Picchu before. You know, if you were talking to someone who'd never been on an expedition before and they're thinking about doing Kilimanjaro for the first time, like what would you tell them about the trip and what advice would you give them in regard to preparation? Yeah, well, it's a great trip. The short safari at the end is, is brilliant as well. And it's just, it's such a uh, unique experience going to Africa. It's achievable for, for 99% of people, it really is. It's, it's the kind of peak that... Uh, if you do uh, some training before you go physically, most people can get through it. You know, it's and it's um and it's got a lovely variety of topography as well as you're going up and back down. You know, so I we we always use the Machame route, which is really good as well because, and it's a sensible timetable that we use as well. The seven days, so you can you can do it faster. But I certainly wouldn't advise it. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, as what I always say to people of fitness wise, I mean, you just need to be able to go day after day i mean the days aren't hugely long apart from the summer day four or five hours each day so you know if you're if you're able to get out and do eight hours saturday and sunday you're, you're probably physically ready for it other than that then the other thing that i've noticed uh, that catches people off guard is the camping part the camping on on our, on our ships is quite luxurious it's it's very nicely done it uh, is and you get fed very well and there's toilet tents and all of that but sometimes even even at that, it's, it catches people off guard. So it's a good idea to get out and do a little bit of camping beforehand as well. Maybe just to find your way around all your gear and and figure out what you need and don't need. A lot of people bring stuff that they're never going to use and they're carrying it all with them. And you know, so yeah, that's steady advice, man. Actually, that's something that's really interesting. Like I think the I think getting yourself physically fit is so important. I think a lot of people have stressed that different guides and doctors on the trip. It's so important because the fitter you are, the more you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. If you're just fit enough, like you're going to spend most of your time 
looking at the, the feet or the, the arse of the person in front of you as you're walking up the mountain. But that t- tip about camping is so key because it's a huge part of it. You know, it's hard to sleep in a tent and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's it's a really good skill. So even getting out with your with your gear in the back garden in a tent to do the job, wouldn't it like it really I, help I people? Need to figure out your your system, you know, because uh if you're sharing a tent with somebody else, so your your system needs to be sympathetic towards them as well. You can't mm. spend out all over the place. A lot of people find that they have stuff that they don't take out of their bag, you know. So that's uh, going back to the psychological part of it again as well, is that especially on summer day, the thing that I always say to people on, on the summit morning before we head out the door is, you know, you've been physically training for this for six months, maybe. Now in the last uh, six days, you've been uh, physically training in altitude um, and getting used to that. Today, uh, the summit day is mostly about tuning out and just one foot in front of the other and just being able to go into your own zone and just keep going and going and going for longer than you want to. I always break it down for people in that, you know, the first step is it starts to get a little bit brighter. Then the sun comes up on your back and every time you reach a milestone, then you get the stellar point. Every time you reach a milestone, you just get that little bit more energy and it keeps pushing Mm -hmm. on. And uh, then you get to the summit and of course, people who are really finding it really hard on their way up to the summit, get to the summit, and they have a totally new lease of life. Um, they can't imagine how they're going to get back down again, but they do. So, yeah, it's just it, people uh, are a little bit worried about what their body can handle, and they don't really, maybe they haven't pushed their body to that level of uh, fatigue before, but uh, it's okay. You know, you can, you, you can do it, and you can get back down, and you've got the bragging rights. I, I literally burst out laughing when you are explaining that there because you're going, people who get to the top and they're, and they're f- finding it very tough. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it is like, it, it, it's kind of, the thing I like about climbing a big, like seeing clients climb big mountains, especially on Killy, like, because we do it so often, but I always find it like, you know, I'd be pretty fit, you know, when you get to the top of Killy and you're like really tired yourself and you turn around, there's someone like who, who only, let's say it's October and they started hiking in, in the previous February, you know, mm. they're six months into hiking and they're climbing a 6,000 meter peak. Yeah. I just think they're incredible, aren't they? Like, it's just the most amazing thing. And then when they come back off the trip, like you just get that sense of saying like, geez, if I can do that, I can, I can do it. there's no stopping me, you know, and they can transfer that confidence into different parts of their lives, which I think is really nice. I love being able to facilitate that in a small way myself. It's so cool. Like, And it's always very interesting to see who, who how people um, react to the, to the conditions as well, isn't it? You, you mm. can't say who's going to be in what condition at any point, really. It just goes up and down all the time. And it's just interesting watching it all unfold. And um, I think people often get a fright on the first day or two. I think, oh God, this is really hard. But they settle into it. They find a rhythm and they just keep going. Yeah. You know, you can see people at the start of a big mountain like that who are quite fit, but if they're not good at sleeping like that can really sap the energy out of them if they haven't slept for two or three days kind of halfway through the expedition they can really catch up with them but the other thing i think which is 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 important on a seven thousand meter peak or an eight thousand meter peak or even on something like killy or any of these trips it's it's to kind of stay in the moment and and try and kind of maybe win each day is too strong a word but just kind of focus on okay and, and really try and enjoy it and have the crack like because you see people like just really focusing on 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 the summit and getting there and ticking the box where it's much much more than that yeah. and the same with us like on on big mountains like you have your little piece of paper and a pen and you're you're counting ahead 20 days and you're like 
if it all goes to plan, it's sure it's like it's fool's play. Like, do you know what I mean? You're only calling yourself. Like, you know, it's kind of you've got so many variables, and it's just to kind of gradually move up the mountain and stay in good condition. Is what it's all about, really. Isn't it? Absolutely, it's about just that day in hand and just keep going that day. Um, mm. Worry about the next day when you get back to your tent and you're in your sleeping bag, and you can figure out what's going to happen uh, the following day. Then things change so quickly, and you just have to adapt to the to the weather and everything else. You know. Yeah, and it's known that you're going to have a fair bit of um, type 2 and lots of type 2 and the odd bit of type 3 fun, you know. So I don't know if you've heard that before, like, but uh, yeah, type 1 is just, you know, if we're if we're, if we're we're after climbing Denali and we're in the pub and we're having the crack, you know, and we're, 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 we're jeering some Americans, them thinking we're being genuinely nice, but we're actually taking the make like as, as we, as is part of our culture here in Ireland, that's type 1 fun, it's just pure crack. Type 2 fun is like when you're, on a summit day at Denali, like where it's it's absolute hardship, but you look back with it with like pure joy, you know. Okay, I can't wait to hear what type three is. <laughs> type three fun is just no fun, <laughs> and looking back at it, it's no fun either, you know. Yeah. Have you any any good type three stories, man? Type three fun stories. I don't know whether I've 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 conditioned myself to forget all those type three stories because. <laughs> Ah, uh, there's always there's always one or two, you know, when you're on the cold nights. But I always think it's funny, like if you had a group off Killy, right? They're back in Arusha day after the mountain. If you said to any of them, like I guarantee if you say, Hey guys, like if anyone wants to go back up the mountain, we're gonna leave again today, you can go for free. Nobody would go. No. Nobody everyone would be like, No way. But you give them you ask them the same question three weeks later, they'd probably all be like, Yeah, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Let's do it again, you know? It's just that little bit of time gap. It's like doing an ultra marathon or something like that you know it's 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 not fun at the time but looking back and and that's the thing man like you know like in many years when we're looking back and well i don't know because i'm i'm not a, an old person myself i'm not young either but like i think when we look back in our life like for us these big mountains these adventures are really going to be the highlights you know so i think it's so important especially this last year we've had like it just makes me want to get out and experience things so much more and, and not take it for granted you know and I, and I think um, we're lucky in this sport as well because um, you can continue doing this sport at some level forever, you know. Yeah. I, I, mean, I remember uh, one of my first trips to the Alps. We ended up staying in this old stone hut one night, but the next morning we were uh, hitting the trail again and uh, we bumped into this, uh, I guess it must have been a bus full of people, but they were up around three and a half thousand metres and uh, they were all in their mid-70s. Kind of yeah, plodding along at a, at their own pace. You can keep climbing mountains for a long, long time. It's not like football or or uh, or stuff like that. You know, you kind of at a certain age, you kind of have to stop playing football. But um, with, with mountaineering, you can keep going, and you can keep if it's rock climbing you're into, or siege mountaineering, or that kind of. We can do them all. Yeah, it's great, we, isn't it? We have a long career ahead of us. <laughs> It's cool. That is the best thing is like, you know, any other sport you're like, you know, I do a lot of getting back into ultra running and that like, and that's the same, man. You're, it's an old man's game. It's so nice. Like yeah. I actually had a friend of mine, Stephen O'Donoghue, who's on the podcast um, a few weeks ago and he's, I think he's in his mid fifties now and he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to do one more trip and then I'm going to retire. And it's absolute horseshit because yeah, like, you know, my old fella's 70, 75. He's planning on going to Machu Picchu next year. Like, so it's deadly, like yeah. something to aim towards to have a long career ahead of us. So yeah, it's a really good point, man. Actually, for those high altitude mountains, age is kind of, I think it's a benefit. You've got to take your time on those mountains, you know. When you're young, like, sure. I remember in 2000 and 
2003, I think it was 2003, the first time I was in India, it was only around 21, 22, we're on a big kayak expedition in Ladakh, like we ran this really tough river called Zanskar. And like Denali, you know, like you always on a big kayak expedition, you leave a bit of a window at the end for bad weather or stuff going wrong. So we had a week spare, but we were in Leh, which is um, kind of the, the main town in Ladakh. And we were sitting down having breakfast, like all kayaking gear, like with some trail shoes and stuff like that. We were sitting down having breakfast after just finishing like a 10 day trip, absolutely exhausted. We were looking across the valley and we saw like stuck angry, so 6,100 meter peak. And she were like, we'll give it a go. Like <laughs> the next morning we took off and we tried to do it in three days. And sure, we got altitude. Three of the lads made it in fairness. I didn't summit. I was, I got sick, but like, yeah. that's just the thing. Like we wouldn't even dream of that now. And when you're younger, I think like in a nutshell, you're just more stupid really, aren't you? You just. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. back in the days when my brother Keith and myself found that rock climbing gear, man, I don't know. We should have been locked up because we didn't know how to use it or anything. But uh, we figured it out as we were going along. Actually, I think uh, the mountain training that I've done over the years is, well, in the earlier days, when I started doing mountain skills and mountain leader training, they started telling us all these uh, dangers and risks, and I was there. Never thought of that. Never thought of that. Yeah, youth is a is a marvelous thing, but um, it's not always useful. <laughs> no, 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 it's not, especially in big mountains. Aaron, thanks so much, man. Thanks for coming on the pod, and we'll chat to you soon, dude. Take it easy. Cheers. This podcast was produced by Earth's Edge. We're a small business based in Ireland who organise big adventures all over the world. For more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast, visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.